Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Jason Charles Miller grew up in Virginia, the son of two writers. He started what I would label a dark industrial metal band called Godhead that caught the eyes and ears of Marilyn Manson, which resulted in Jason and the band touring the world with Manson for two years. Seven Godhead albums later, he started kicking out some heavy country southern rock and has recorded four albums and is killing it on the road. I've seriously enjoyed writing with Jason and consider him one of my most thoughtful, interesting friends. Jason Charles Miller, folks. All right. Jason Charles Miller, what's happening? Hey. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> Where have You've you been? I've been laughing. And, I know. It, my yeah. face hurts, but that's usually the problem. Where have you been lately? Uh, well, I was in Muscle Shoals last night. That was really fun. That's a cool place, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of history. A lot of history. And I actually played at um, Cypress Moon Studios, which was the second location of Muscle Shoals Sound. Oh, okay. Which before that was like an old Navy building. It's right there on the water. And um, it has a venue that holds like 400, 500 people in the studio. It's incredible. So you're like actually in a Studio You're in the studio. If you turn right, it goes to studios A and B, and if you turn left, it goes to this like decently sized venue. So it probably sounds great in there. It's cool. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Did you play whole band or just you? Me by myself. I played with um, Hannah Aldridge and Jamie Wyatt and um, a couple other acts. Uh, the uh, Black Feathers from England and Rob Aldridge, who's not related to Hannah Aldridge. Okay. We joked about that a lot. <laughs> I'm like your brother's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're no. I mean your other brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have found that uh, on the internet, there's oh some boy. weird stuff about you. <laughs> I mean, looking at your own IMDb site, that's weird enough. You're either from Chevrolet, Maryland, or Clifton, Virginia. Oh, that's true. It's on there both ways. Right. And so I, I'm here to. I need to underline one okay. of these. So I was born in Chevrolet, Maryland. Okay. And then when I was five, I moved to Clifton, Virginia. Okay. So there you go. That's very clear now. Was that a musical family growing up? or I mean, your mom raced cars. Yeah. Um, no, you know, what's interesting is um, I didn't really have a musical family. Like, my, my dad was a journalist. He worked for the Kiplinger Corporation for his whole, pretty much, as far as, I mean, before... Uh, for as long as I was can remember, he worked for the Kiplinger magazine. Um, and then my mom uh, became an automotive journalist later. So both my both my parents were writers. Yeah. So is that how you came into writing? Or how, where did music guess, come from? You know, um, mom and dad's Almond dad Brother albums? My dad tells the story about me singing Country Roads by John Denver on a train when I was like four to like a crowd of people on the train and everyone awesome. clapped. Right. And then I got the bug. You got the bug. My first memory is singing Yesterday by the Beatles when I was in kindergarten at the Clifton, Element, Clifton Elementary School talent show. Nice. Singing that a cappella because I was a kid, so I had no idea that 
you probably needed some sort of musical accompaniment. <laughs> so I just got up there and sang the song. Yeah. Didn't really know all the words. And <laughs> I remember the audience going crazy for that. And that's when I remember getting the bug yeah. of performing. So, how, I mean, were you writing songs before you started, like before you picked up a guitar or vice yeah, versa? Yeah, I was writing little bits here and there. And yeah. then I didn't actually start learning guitar till about 14. Oh, okay. And that's, so that's when I really started getting into it. Yeah. And um, started joining bands and things when I was 15. Man. Played my first club gig when I was 17. Really? And I remember there were certain clubs where I could only be in the club while I was on stage. Right, right. So, like, you got to wait in the parking lot, go on stage when your set time happens, and then when you're done, leave Because you weren't 21. Right, yeah. 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 That was like in Maryland and Virginia and stuff. Like that. I know. I always hear about that kind of stuff. Like Joe Bonamassa will go, man, I started playing in clubs when I was nine years old. It's like, nine. How, That's how crazy. did you do that? I mean, I guess his dad was a player too. So I think his dad was talking to the right. others. But for me, I joined a band that had a couple of older guys in it, and so that's how I uh, okay. to do that. Yeah, that's cool. So then, like, when did you get serious about writing? At that point. A little bit later, like once I got to college, I went to George Mason University and um, when that was when I really started writing a lot, having a band. You know, for the longest time though, I would only write with whoever band members I had. So sure. whatever band I was in, you only write with them. Right. You know what I mean? The concept of writing with others didn't come till much later. Yeah. Because it was always like, we're a band, man. This is it. This is the band. Well, and if you grew up like me, I mean, I looked at ZZ Top records, all songs written by ZZ Top. Van Halen right. records, all songs written by Van Halen. I didn't know people wrote for other people. I right. had no idea growing yeah. up in Nebraska. So did you graduate? From college, No. Because so my my first band, which was called Blind, which then eventually – and I don't mean my first band, but my first like successful mm-hmm. band uh, was called Blind, which we eventually changed our name to Godhead. Okay. We got signed to a label out of Europe uh, when I was in my junior year of college. And so I sort of made a – I made a deal, cut it with my parents uh, – <laughs> That, um, and this was actually before we got that deal. We started touring regionally a mm-hmm. lot, and um, back when this was almost pre-internet days, because this was like ninety four, ninety five. Um, I made a deal with my dad that I could take a year off of college to tour, and then within that year, if I got a record deal, then you know, Godspeed. And if yeah. not, you'd come back to school. And if not, I'd come back yeah, to school. And that within that fair. year, I got a record deal. It was with a European company, but they, they took us over to Europe, and we toured over Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Dang. Um, and that was really cool. And then from there, my manager at the time, his name's Scott Cohen, um, and I met him when he lived in Burke, Virginia, and I lived in Fairfax, Virginia at the time. He then moved to New York and started a record label – um, so in the States, we signed with his record label, which it was first, it was called Soul 3 Records, S-O-L-3, because mm-hmm. that's sort of the scientific name of planet Earth. Oh, okay. Because um, our, our 
son is Sol, S-O-L. Ah, uh, okay. Um, he went on – so he started Soul 3 Records. We signed with them. Then they changed their name to The Orchard. And he is the Scott Cohen that founded The Orchard. Wow. You know, which is now like – it was the biggest independent – digital distribution company in the world until Sony bought them and now they're like the independent arm of Sony Music worldwide and he was a real innovator in believing in digital you know that we're going to go all digital and of course you know in like the 90s you're like no man CDs forever like everyone's going to want something physical to hold remember that argument that flew out the window (laughs) I mean yeah and I mean I still sell CDs on the road because you sign it for someone and it becomes a a a memory of the night you know I like sitting there and geeking out to who wrote what or what kind of guitars does that guy play where does it record I mean but I mean my oldest niece is 26 I don't think she's ever – I'm not sure she's ever bought a CD. Wow. I mean it's just that age. you know. Yep. It's like, well, it's yeah. on my phone. I got my earbuds. and Right. Here it know. is. Yeah. No, I always love it when I, I wrote with this one guy and I was telling him about using the fractal because mm-hmm. I said, dude, I'm, I'm married and I, a 100-watt head, even through a 112, is really loud. Yeah. And I go, my wife is you know, tired of – sitting on the floor in front of the TV <laughs> watching Housewives of Dallas. So the fractal works great. And he goes, man, all I ever play is a 56 Telecaster and I got a 59 basement. And I said, yeah, I'm sure that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the studio, put it through a compressor, then you mix it on something else, and then it gets thrown on iTunes through another compressor. Oh, yeah. And then my niece buys it for 99 cents and listens through it through 75-cent headphones. So, yeah, I'm sure she's getting mm-hmm. all the pithy nuances <laughs> of your amazing instrument. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I look at things really practically like that, too. You know, like yeah. I think about um, – I even – I've I've gotten sort of cynical. I mean, not not negatively. Not as cynical as me. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, not quite as cynical <laughs> as you, Bart. But I think about just because being being in the music business as long as I have and seeing like different aspects of it. When I read articles or hear people talk about the history of music and and or like a pivotal song that someone wrote mm-hmm. or like. This was the right song for the for the generation, or this was the right song for its time, or or whatever. I I, I question that because yeah. I go, really, was that the right song for its time, or did the radio promotions guy for that particular record label have a great relationship with this one program director in Detroit, who that year everyone was looking at for the next big thing? And was that the reason why this song became a worldwide hit? Well, you always hear about Ted Nugent being a regional act, having regional hits and stuff. And, well, eventually regional hits go national. Right. So I, I totally agree. Yeah. So, I mean, there are songs that touch us all, uh, but there are other songs that are probably just as good yeah. that because uh, – somebody didn't have enough money in their promotions budget or yeah. like someone didn't get that one tour that would have like catapulted right. them to success. That particular song just wasn't as, as popular. Yeah. You know, or you'll hear about some band like, uh, 
Duran Duran. Their third album wasn't a hit in America until two years later when they were on whatever tour, uh-huh. like you just said, and they yeah. played all these songs, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're hits now. Right. Those songs were always out there. Yeah. So. And they were always really good. Yeah. But So where did the name Godhead come from? Okay, so check this out. So um, I think it's pretty well documented that I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my... My answer for years when people asked that, I would always say, well, you know, the definition of Godhead is that it's the closest thing next to God. So for some people, like their job is their Godhead or their family is their Godhead. And for us, our music is our Godhead. Yeah. Um, but the real story is that there was an, there was an issue of Fantasy Gamer magazine <laughs> that had a D&D <laughs> module inside of it. Where you the 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 uh, the the objective of the quest was to grab the Godhead, All right? And I was like, man, that would be an awesome name That's for a band. An awesome name, yeah. Uh, I like the second answer. <laughs> so, Godhead is still a band, correct? Well, sort of. We're sort on of. hiatus. Okay. Um, you know, we haven't put anything out in. Well, we put out a remix record in 2014, but yeah. we're all kind of scattered over right. the country right now. So um, we're not currently working on anything. Is there a reunion tour coming up or anything? There could be. I mean, people keep asking about oh, it. Yeah. So, you know, if they keep asking long enough. That's right. Uh, and what's cool, like even in Muscle Shoals, uh, I had I, – I love when Godhead fans are still uh, come to my shows, my solo shows. and yeah. I love it when like they can kind of see both sides of it and say, "Hey, you know, we really like this new stuff. We're Godhead fans, and that's what got us started." Yeah. But, like I really like what you're doing now, and and you know they ask me questions like that all the time. Yeah, and you say you should listen to uh, Miranda Lambert. She's just like me. <laughs> <laughs> is who else is in the band? Anybody I would know? Are they and still in music or? Um. Oh, right. So, um, well, actually, Mike Miller, for, so from Godhead, Mike Miller, our longtime guitar player, not related, although we used to have fun on the road, people would automatic, automatically think we're brothers. I mean, look, if you see a band and there's two guys in the band with the same last name, you're going to assume they're brothers. Sure. So I think even Guitar World, when they did a feature on us, they said that we were brothers. Nice. And like, we, we were pretty clear that we weren't to people, but... So then we just decided to go with it. Like if I was on – if you know we're on the road after a show or something and someone goes, hey, where's your brother? I'll just be like, he's over there. You know, right? it, It's so much easier to just oh, say yeah. he's over there than, well, actually, we're not brothers and we – you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, so you just – he's over there. <laughs> yeah. But then we used to have fun with – we had fun with one of our guitar techs who just thought we were brothers. And I said, well, no, actually, we're cousins and Steve Miller is our uncle. And then, you know – uh, he just lit up and was like, really? So have you met Les Paul? <laughs> yeah. Uncle Les? Sure <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. How many records? He's a babysitter. <laughs> yeah. He let us play with sharp tools. It's <laughs> not a good pl- – how many records did you guys put out? Seven. Dang. Yeah. How did the uh, Marilyn Manson connection come about? The way that worked was um, his manager – caught wind of us somehow and came to see us play when we were on a tour in LA and that was in 99 
and uh, they knew they were getting a label started. Right. And so at the end of 99, they flew me out to L.A. to meet Manson, kind of have a meeting, and, and we were the first and only band that they ever signed to the label. Yeah. Is that, do they still have a label? No. You know, what happened was – so. They at the time Manson was signed to Interscope, and right. what some listeners may know and other listeners may not know is a lot of times when an artist has their own label, it's often an imprint, as they call it, through a larger label. Right. And I remember them telling me at the time that their imprint was either going to go through Interscope or go through Priority which was owned by EMI mm-hmm. at the time, who also owned Capitol Records and Virgin at the time. And they decided to go with Priority, a better deal or whatever. And so technically we were signed to Priority through Posthuman Manson's mm-hmm. imprint. Right. So in the middle of our album cycle, um, we had put out Eleanor Rigby. Mm-hmm. That video was getting a lot of attention. We were going to go with a second single. EMI uh, decides they're going to merge priority into Capitol Records. So everyone that signed us, everyone that was working our record, uh, half of them got let go and the other half got merged into Capitol, sometimes with different titles. Yeah, different titles, different jobs. Yeah. So we're on now we're now on Capitol Records with a bunch of people that don't know us, don't care. We Did, were still selling a thousand records a week. And then when we would get back on the road, we were selling even more than that. But they didn't sign you. They didn't sign us. So I have the distinct uh fact to say <laughs> I've never been signed to Capitol Records, but I've been dropped by <laughs> Capitol Records. Which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> That's one of those head scratchers, like for debatable on XM or something. Like, figure, riddle me this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so posthuman, which was Manson's label, then it was their sort of task to find posthuman a new label, a new sort of parent label. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, they just decided not to. Yeah. yeah. So they. They had their own promotion staff and all that uh, post Yeah, well, pri- well, no, it was all priorities Priority. okay. promotion stuff. And Priority at the time was well known for hip hop. They had Master P when he was sort of at uh, the height right, of his right. popularity, and they had Snoop Dogg. So when EMI merged Priority into Capital, they were just doing that for the hip hop catalog, not for the rock catalog. They had very few rock artists yeah. on the label, and so. Um, that's we yeah. got caught in the crossfire, so to speak. So, you toured with Manson though for what? Yeah, two couple, years. Couple of years, yeah. So you don't really drink, do right. drugs or anything mm-hmm. like that. How do mm-hmm. you stay sane and stay sober in that situation for that long? Okay, well, when you when we toured with him, we would only see him like every third show. He right. was very reclusive. And so we might pass each other in the hallway, but it might be like, hey, I haven't seen you in a week, you know? <laughs> um, so we were kind of separated yeah. from each other in that way. But I do remember a night in, uh, I think it was in London, that 
Manson invited me into his dressing room, which was kind of a big deal. And he was like, but if you're going to stay in here, you're going to drink. Mm-hmm. And it was absinthe right. that he made me drink. Like the real stuff in The Europe. real stuff because yeah. we're in Europe. And um, <laughs> I just remember um, his, key, his longtime keyboard player, um, Madonna Wayne Gacy, right? who was nicknamed Pogo. <laughs> of Everyone course. just called him Pogo. Um, who his thing was he would always rock back and forth constantly. He would never stop rocking. And I remember um, having one drink with Manson and then he left. <laughs> so then I'm in Manson's dressing room and Manson's long gone <laughs> and it's me and Pogo and we're talking about the difference between the Ents and the Trolls in the Lord of the Rings nice. series. And uh, I remember – we play. We were playing Paris the next day, and I. You had to take a ferry, so your tour bus gets loaded onto this giant ferry, mm-hmm. and then you go through the English Channel between uh, England right. and France. And I remember, you know, so I'm drunk now. I'm seasick. <laughs> I'm puking everywhere. I didn't wake up till five o'clock in the evening the next day Ugh. to play, and I was still drunk the next day. So, and, he, and meanwhile, Manson's washing horse tranquilizers down with Twiggy, probably, yeah, with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how long after Godhead did you start your solo career? Well, it was kind of an overlap. Um, we we put out our last studio record in uh, two thousand and nine. Okay, and that's when I started working on solo stuff in earnest. I had always written stuff kind of on the side. Yeah. But when your energy is all focused on your band, that's really what you, you mainly sure. do. And and like Ben Moody from Evanescence mm-hmm. and I wrote a song for um, the Punisher soundtrack. Right. So I was I was experimenting with co writing and I was writing with certain other people in arts and I had co written with Manson and Twiggy. Um but it wasn't really until I decided to kind of do something completely separate yeah. that I really started co-writing with a lot of people. How did you get to Nashville? It was through my publisher. So we were signed with Bicycle Music at the time and I approached the president of Bicycle and I said, look, like I'm starting – I'm writing kind of like these – the stuff that's completely different from from Godhead and has kind of a country flair to it or a folky flair mm-hmm. or something, I would love to go to Nashville and start to write with people. And uh, they help facilitate that through Dan Hodges, who's my publisher now, because right. at the time he was their Nashville rep. Yeah, And so really um, Dan helped me meet people. you know. And luckily because of my previous career, I had some – legitimacy oh, yeah. so to speak Some so that people actually wanted to write with me yeah absolutely yeah is it fun it's still, a lot still like coming out uh, here? yeah it's so much fun you ever yeah. gonna move out here i don't think so and 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 the reason is i've got a lot of roots now in la yeah. i've lived in la for 17 years and um i i feel like there's a lot of things that i do out there that i couldn't do here mainly yeah. Voiceover stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of voiceovers for video games, um, cartoons, and sometimes commercials. 
and a lot of that production is done there. Do you have to be there for that? Could you do it like if you could – You could do some remotely. Yeah. You could do some remotely. But for games, which I tend to get booked for a lot of games, they often want you to come to them. Right. So you've got to go to their studio because there's a director there. Sure. There's a producer. Sometimes there's a producer in Japan that's watching you on oh, Skype. Really? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, and sound more like Eeyore. <laughs> right, yeah. Or well the best thing is like when you know you say a line and then you say one line and then okay, okay, hold on, and then you see everyone discussing and then a minute later they're like, Okay, just do it slightly slower. <laughs> you know <laughs> There's a great show, uh there's a BBC show that you can see on Netflix called Toast of London. Yeah. And it's about a, a a, an actor in London named Stephen Toast, and he does voiceover in in the show. You know, it's a comedy, but so you follow him around for his daily crazy acting life, and part of it is when he doesn't do voiceover, and uh, you know, just the absurdity that sometimes yeah. you get told what to do. Yeah, it's really I funny. Heard some stuff about. Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Captain Kirk. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Some of his voiceover, yeah. and he's finally just tells the guy, like, well, "Why don't you just come yeah. in here and do it?" You, yeah, and he goes, "Why don't you tell me how to do it?" Yeah. And he takes the bait and he does it. Uh, so then Shatner basically mimics back what the guy yeah. did. And he goes, "No, no, no, that's what you wanted." <laughs> so you great. told me you wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. pretty gutsy stuff. Telling the guy like Shatner. Yeah, I but, know. If so I had who, Shatner in there, I'd just be like, "Yep, great. Yep, next." Is that, is that lunch? Okay, yeah. off we go. So how many – you've done four country records, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I would say this new one, um, even though it's classified as country, is probably more southern rock. Oh, yeah. It's pretty heavy. Um, yeah. And I wrote about 45 songs for it. I ended up recording 14, and then we whittled it down to 11 for the release. And of those 14, one was a song that you and I wrote. <sighs> I know. I was like, it's this close. It sounds awesome. And what's great is we'll be able to use that somewhere else. Yeah. And that song appears acoustically on one of my other records on country. The song's called The River. And I had worked it up full band and we still play it live a Dude, lot. it sounds great. So check your BMI live statements. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so I was able to do that one full band. So at least it's documented somewhere. So – Explain Old Scarecrow, yeah. Ricky Medlock, and Charlie Starr. Right. So how did – did you write it with those two guys? I did write it with them and – but not in the same room. That okay. was a remote write, which was pretty cool. Um, through knowing Ricky and yeah. knowing Charlie from Blackberry Smoke, yeah. I knew that they wrote a lot and because they tour a lot together. Yep. Ricky's and Skinner. Um and uh, Ricky told me about this song that they had, and it didn't have a bridge yet. And he sent me what they had written, and I sat down with um, my friend Stuart Carreras, who co-produced um, my album with me, and we sort of dissected it, added a few parts. I wrote a bridge, and then it's a um, great song, man. Came thanks. Yeah, awesome. I, I love it. Is um, that? Is that Ricky playing slide? Ricky is playing slide okay. on the I whole thing. I thought that was him, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was 
done remotely too. So, I mean, I see these guys as much as I can, but yeah. living in LA, I see them when they play Phoenix or when they play LA. So I see them like once a year or twice a year. Yeah. So the timing of getting them oh, in the studio yeah. would have been crazy. So um, Charlie sang his part remotely and sent it to us, and then Ricky played his part remotely and sent it to us. That's cool. Um, Sounds great. Yeah. And then I got it. So Matt Hyde, who produced the album, um, was able to kind of take Charlie's vocals and my vocal and sort of find a sound. Because, you know, Charlie was singing through a different mic, different sure. preamp, you know. Yeah. So find a sound to where it all sort of mixed, yeah. sat together. Yeah. So the In the Wasteland video. Yeah. Dude, I've been watching it. Where was that shot? Okay, so – can I tell you my first yeah, thought? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was looking at it, and this is high praise. I want you to take okay, it that way. Okay, all right. But I thought, this looks like Mad Max meets Burning Man. <laughs> yes. Like, this you, is so cool. You got it exactly right. <laughs> so there's a festival in California every year. Actually, it's coming up. Uh, I'm not playing it this year, but I think I might go for a day or two. Um it's called Wasteland Weekend. Oh, okay. It's a coincidence. I wrote this song in the Wasteland. That's awesome. Driving back from a gig in Vegas with my guitar player, uh, Gary Joseph Potter Jr. Anyway, uh, we were writing this in the car, and I was sort of driving through the desert. But then uh, when – and I, ha- I had played Wasteland Weekend once. But when – I'm good friends with the organizer – and when I told him about uh, how I had this song called In the Wasteland, I was like, oh, we got to film that one. We got to film it. So all the footage is from the actual festival. Okay. So the deal with Wasteland Weekend is the theme is the apocalypse. Okay. So you've got to look – you've got to go and dress and look like you are in Mad Max yeah. or Waterworld <laughs> or from the Fallout games. I mean, you've got to look like it's the apocalypse or they won't let you in. Oh, really? Right. Okay. And it's well documented <laughs> on like the ticket. If, you know, if you're coming, we're going to make sure you fit the yeah. theme. Yeah. Or we're, you're, we're, you're not letting you in because they film all sorts of things there. And so luckily, um, they were kind enough to let me use a lot of their B-roll footage that they had already shot. Oh, So cool. it goes back and forth between my concert and then some of those shots of the audience are indeed at my concert and then others were just sometime during the weekend. Right. Because there's fire dancers. Dude, there's crazy you know, Crazy cars, all sorts of stuff. Crazy. The girls are dressed interestingly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like it's like you know hey it's no different than any country video absolutely you know? absolutely <laughs> Step in, instead of daisy dukes they're wearing like leathers and spikes right yeah so it's just a different different country maybe but it's funny that you said it's a cross between uh <laughs> mad max and burning man because often people joke that wasteland weekend is angry burning man. <laughs> <laughs> i can see that yeah That's... i've eaten kangaroo meat there i know that What's it taste like? It tastes like a hot dog. Yeah. It could have been a hot dog. They told me it was kangaroo meat. We'll see. I wrote with a guy from Australia and I go I asked him, I go, You guys eat kangaroos? He goes, Every American I ever meet asked me. So he went home for Christmas or something and came back and brought back a bunch of kangaroo jerky. And it just tasted like regular jerky. Yep. Yeah. Like a hot dog. Kind of like how rattlesnake tastes like chicken. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or is it the other way around? I don't know. I Which don't came know first, the rattlesnake or the chicken? Are you going to be touring a bunch on this record? I am, yeah. Um, it hasn't... When is this going to air? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've got a lot of tour dates coming up, and I, it looks like I'm going to go over to Europe and the UK, oh, too. Oh, cool. So um, that's all going to start kicking off in December. Nice. But then between now, we're recording this in September. Um, so for uh, November and October, I'm doing a lot of spot dates here yeah, yeah. and there. You know? do you, would you rather do your own like headline and clubs or theaters or whatever, or would you rat- love to get on a Luke Bryan tour? Or, or I mean, they both have their yeah. pluses um, and minuses. It really depends on like what stage you're at in your career. Because yeah. if, if you... If you um, open for like one of the biggies, that you're exposing yourself to so many more yeah. people, and I think that like I would still do that. I, I would love that. Yeah, you know. Um, in fact, uh, for where I am right now, I, that still kind of would be the ideal thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I can I can hold my own in certain cities, but um, I still want more people to hear this record and hear what I'm, what I'm up to. Like playing 90 minutes is a blast instead of you, you, some of the beer and t-shirt acts that are out on some of those triple and quadruple bills that play for, you know, the first 15 minutes the house lights are still out. It's like, Oh yeah. Who was that? I don't yeah. know. I was getting, no, t- I know that. I mean, that that's the, always a disadvantage too, but you're still probably playing to way more people. Yeah. Even like if you're, if you're, if you're playing in an amphitheater or, or a, an arena or something, it might look like no one's there and there's still 5,000 people. Exactly. There. Yeah. Because yeah, the building holds 18,000. Uh, so mm-hmm. you also, I mean, you're so diverse. You own Central Command Studio mm-hmm. and the list of artists and producers and film and TVs and company. I mean, you guys, that's like a full time, wide open yeah. ass hall and studio. That's killer. Yeah. yeah. Another reason why. You know, I'm happy that it. Yeah, I would. You know, another reason why I might not move here. Absolutely, I, just, I like coming here. Uh, here being Nashville, by the way, <laughs> I like coming here to write and work, and then going back because I just have so many things happening. Oh yeah. Um, and what's crazy is that I ended up co-producing Billy Ray Cyrus. I wanted last to ask you about record that. There. Yeah. Uh, did you do that at your studio? Yeah, we did it all at my at my studio, um Stuart Carreras and I and you know, he just happens to live in LA. It was such a cool sort of meeting of of, you know, Kismet or whatever. Yeah. His daughter Noah, his youngest daughter Noah, who's now doing very well yeah. as a pop singer needed this is like four or five years ago now needed a studio for one day and a friend recommended my studio and so she was working in in my room and then i was in the next room working on a song that ended up on on this record called riverbank years later uh and we were playing the riff and all of a sudden billy ray cyrus walks into the lounge and he said y'all sound like you're playing something southern and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> Southern LA. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good dude, man. Yeah, he's great. So was that how you met him? That's really how we met. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Does he still have his place here? I he has spoken. a place. Oh, yeah. He's got in uh, Thompson Station. Yeah. I've been still, out there. Yeah. He's got I, his place here and he has a place in Toluca Lake. 
I told him one time, I said, man, this place is so awesome. I heard you have like a thousand acres. He goes, no, it's only like 850. (laughs) And he didn't realize how goofy that sounded (laughs) to me because he's just such a sweet, sweet guy, man. Yeah, he really is. But was there anything career-wise you do differently? Well, yeah, I mean, I think in, in hind, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Sure. So, um, I mean, specifically, I'm not sure. I mean, because we always – the things that we do, you know, are why we're here today, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's hard to have – it's hard to second guess this. The one thing I would say is I – need to have more patience mm. because I may have made some business decisions too quickly yeah. to where if I had waited a little bit longer – and I'm just saying this like in general. Sure. If I had waited a little bit longer, maybe things would have turned out differently. But you know, it wouldn't lead me here with you right now yeah. necessarily. So um, You're doing what you love Yeah, on a lot of different fronts. I think in general, I just – I try to be true to myself and not do anything that's exploitative to anyone else. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, you know, you're gonna if you do that, you're going to more often than not be going down the right road. Yeah, that's good. Can you do my ten questions thing? Sure. Okay. What I want you to do is just answers. Fast quick as, as possible. Quick as possible. Yeah. What's your favorite book? Lord of the Rings. Nice. What's your favorite food? Pizza. What's your favorite quote? Um, not all those who wander are lost. You're the second person that said that. Oh, huh. that's a good one. What was the first concert you saw, and how old were you? I saw Heart Sweet. at the Baltimore Civic Center uh, when I was either 13 or 14, it was eighth grade. And the opening act was Honeymoon Suite. Oh, I love those guys. So technically, the first band I saw the was Honeymoon, Honeymoon Suite. Suite. And what was funny about that was I begged my dad, and I, I know these were fast, but I got to tell you I the know. story. I begged my dad to take me to heart. He saw their picture and was like, oh, yeah, I'll take oh, you. Yeah, I'll <laughs> you. Yeah, no problem. Um, and... Uh, and you know, uh, my dad's my is like one of the straight laced guys you ever know. Oh, sure. But you know, he, he he was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it. Um, but when Honeymoon Suite came on as the opening act, they explained the the lead singer explained that their truck had just gotten stolen. Oh. So they were playing on borrowed equipment, and I remember he yelled out like, "Somebody stole our fucking truck." <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. Like I was just embarrassed that like almost, this guy had just cussed and I was there with my dad. I can almost feel dad jerking me out of my seat. As, <laughs> right. As we we're speak. going. <laughs> but but luckily, you know, he was okay. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Heart was my first like big concert. How old were you? Uh, 13 or 14. 13, 14. Yeah. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be a hit or even a cut. What's the favorite song that you've ever written? I, you know, that always changes. Yeah. Uh, that always changes. Uh, lately, it's been my song "The Line" mm-hmm. on my new album. Um, I wrote it. I wrote it alone. And there's a couple songs on this. There's two or three songs on this album that I wrote alone. Yeah. That 
you feel proud that you're able to do something completely autonomous, you know, uh, and also that you're able to sort of follow um, where like you have you have a concept in your head of what you want the song to be, mm-hmm. and when it comes out at the end, it's it's that concept on the other end, kind of like when painters imagine what they want to paint, sure. and then it actually comes out the way they want. Do you like writing by yourself? Um, I do, but I like the push and pull of of co-writing. I do too. It motivates me. It it pushes me, and it makes me. Uh, there's a competitive. Not really. You're not competing with the other writer, but, but it's you're, fun to impress the other guy in the room. Yeah, and you're also or a girl or a girl. Or, but you're also um, there. There there's there's this energy that happens. Yeah. You know, that you you can't often get alone. I also, I mean, I've been looking back at my catalogs and I think I've written a little over a thousand songs. Mm-hmm. And I still, even if writing that many songs, if I write by myself, I still am not always sure if it's done. Yeah. Okay. Whether I have another yeah, person in the room, that. it's like, yeah. is that as good as it can be? Mm-hmm. What about this line? There's no, what about this line when I'm by myself? Right. Well, I mean, there yeah, is, but it's, yeah. like, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. What song do you wish you would have written? Um, I Drive Your Truck. That's a good one. That is an amazing – that's like one of my favorite songs of all time. Yep. I tear up almost every time I hear that song. I thought you would have said like Eleanor Rigby or something. Oh, no. No, I just like – National Anthem? Yeah. Yeah. Or Happy Birthday. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. But I, my, I, my brain always – and maybe it's just like from the modern era. Sure. But my brain always goes back to that song. It's That's just such like a, great song. a perfect song. Yep. yep Which yep. and Lee Bryce didn't write that, and he's written a lot of other greats. Like he, like the thing I like about Lee Bryce as a as a, a performer, as an artist, is he knows when another song. Like he, he doesn't have an ego, as yeah. far as I know, at least on the public side, um, of like, hey, I'm only gonna put out songs that I wrote or co-wrote, like if another song speaks to me and it's right for me, I'm going to record that. And was, not everybody does that. I was talking to, for the podcast, Jesse Alexander, who's one of the writers on that. And I also bumped into Connie and uh, talking about that song. And they said, you can't believe how many people have come up to us who have lost a son or lost a brother or and it may not be I I drive their truck, but it's like you know I wear my brother's jacket or something like everybody right. kind of has something like that. You know mm-hmm. I carry my dad's lucky silver dollar with me, or or everybody has. So the sentiment in that is so great, and it was so well written. Yeah, I love that. What if you could just do one thing? Be a writer, producer, voice voiceover guy, artist. What's your what's your favorite? Not if you could only do one thing, but what's your favorite out of those? Artists. I yeah. love performing. I love the immediate feedback from yeah. the audience. I, I can't it's like I, I explain it I if nerds always nerds get this, nerds like me, but I in in the movie Star Trek Generation. Guinan, played by Whoopi Goldberg, is explaining <laughs> the nexus. And the nexus is uh, pure joy. It's this sort of like uh, pocket universe that's uh, made up of pure joy. And 
if you get ripped away from the nexus, all you want to do is get back yeah. to it because um, the the villain in that in that movie is trying to get back to the nexus, and there's only certain ways to get it. So I look at performing as like the nexus, right? Yeah, that's awesome. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of a lifer at this point, yeah. so I don't know what I'm going to do. I still practice the phrase, would you like fries with that? Just because. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. you want to have those skills. You never know. Mm-hmm. Well, you are at jasoncharlesmiller.com, mm-hmm. centralcommandstudio.com. Studios. Studios. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I mean, like, what's what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Um, well, I mean, I'm going to be touring a lot on this record. Um, besides this, um, I host a show. Uh, I, ho- I host a, a show on Project Alpha, and Project Alpha is uh, Legendary Pictures, the movie company. Okay. They have their own platform in the same way that, like, Netflix is a platform right, right. and CBS Now is a platform. And um, I host a show on on Project Alpha called Starter Kit. And Starter Kit is a show where we teach people how to play role-playing games. Oh, like wow. Like Dungeons and & Dragons and Vampire and, and uh, Marriage. games like that. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> another thing. But, uh, but it's super fun and like – that's like one part of my personality yeah. that's pretty quirky that I've actually been able to, you know, turn into Something. a side job. Absolutely. You know? So it, I, it's crazy. Like uh, Gary Gygax is the guy that created Dungeons and Dragons. I'm friends with his son, Luke, okay. you know, who still carries on the name. I, I do, I've done some promotions directly with the with Wizards of the Coast, who owns Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, now. that's cool! And I, I do things with them. I've appeared on some of their shows, and uh, it's a whole new world of, of oh, things man. like that. So um, I've become good friends with Joe Manganiello over that. He's that's a cool. Dungeons and Dragons freak. Do you ever wear like your own shirt with your new album cover on it or anything? So you can oh yeah, so people can see it. Well, see I'm it. not that blatant, but there's a there's a <laughs> the most popular show about Dungeons and Dragons is. Is is a show called Critical Role that I've appeared on, and uh, I I did buy an ad during their show for my album. There you go. So I knew that because uh, I, like I wrote the theme song for their show. Okay. So basically, it was like, hey, the the guy who wrote the theme song for this show, show you like has a new album, right. <laughs> and here it is. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. I really appreciate your time and uh, being friends for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of, of you doing this. I think it's a great idea, Thanks, and I man. think it's going to um, – I'm really excited for it. Thanks. I'd like to come back and do it again. Absolutely. You want to go write a song? Let's do it. All right. See you. See you.